HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. For more information, go to Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Federico Mouchant. Chief Customer Officer at Chobani. Fed is responsible for overseeing retail and international sales activity, category development, shopper marketing, and revenue and trade management. You're going to have to explain what every single one of those things is. Uh, Fed has grown his career in all sorts of marketing, brand management, and sales roles at Frito-Lay and Danone. I was lucky enough to meet him through the Chobani Incubator last year, and he totally changed the way I was thinking about building the sauce business. Fed, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having um, me. It's I'm great so to be here. excited. You know how excited I am to have you on because I've been like hounding you for a uh, year. We finally made it happen. We've been talking um, about it for a while. I know. I know. And I just, I want to give everyone fair warning. Take out your pencils. Don't do this like while you're doing something else because there's going to be some like heavy duty like help in the next couple of hours or minutes. I guess it's not going to be more than 45 minutes. Um, so, you know, pause it if you can't 
pay full attention. Are you laughing, Matt? He looked like he was laughing with you. You were laughing, weren't you? (laughs) Thanks. Um, Okay, so Fed, we're going to go through your personal history really quickly because I want to get to like the nitty gritty. So just like tell me about your childhood, where you grew up, what kind of kid you were. Something tells me you had like a fun streak. I don't know, like a little, maybe a little rebellious. I don't know. I'm just picking up on that a little bit. Anyway, go. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> you, you'll notice a weird accent. Um, I've been I've been in the U.S. for the last 22 years, or since <laughs> I came to you know for 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 undergrad for college, um, and I haven't gotten rid of the accent. So is that intentional? Like to no, like, do I, the, like I tried. Yeah. Then you know I started to uh, use it to my advantage, and I guess right. it's it's worked so far. Yes in certain uh, areas. But uh, no, I, I was born in the U.S., but happened to be born here um, in the late 70s. There was a big civil war going on in El Salvador, where my family's from. Right. Um, so it, literally my parents escaped one night. Uh, a week later, I was born in Miami, which wow. was an awesome gift because I ended up being an American citizen, yeah. and that comes with a lot of good stuff. But um, but yeah, I uh, went back to El Salvador, and I was there. How um, old were you when they went back? I was right before kindergarten, so okay. uh, roughly four or five years old. And then uh, did my whole childhood over there. We would come to the U.S., um, you know, summer vacations and stuff like that, right. which has a lot to do with my with my career and my, um, you know, my fascination with CPG. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I um, grew up there. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. Sometimes we get a bad rap, a bad rep, um, you know, for gangs and or you know it's 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 not the safest place in the world but it's a beautiful place beautiful beaches beautiful surfing so strongly recommend i say it's a it's a hit in costa rica for those of you who don't know (laughs) so but um but yeah you know as a kid uh my neighbor was my grandma and i would go see my grandma every single day uh during the summer Um, and at 10 in the morning she was always watching bob barker and Uh the price is right right. i would watch it every single day with my grandma so, uh, you know, besides the price is right, and then seeing all these commercials for all these products that I couldn't get in, in El Salvador, yeah. uh, all these, you know, consumer packaged goods, uh, whether it was cereal or whether it was, you know, whatever it was, yeah. I was so fascinated. Um, when we would then come to the U.S., the first thing that we would do is go to, you know, a Publix or a Kroger or whatever. Right. Um, that and, must have and, been like magic yeah, land. It, it, yeah, it was like Disneyland for me yeah. to go to the supermarket those totally. first four hours uh First thing we did after, you know, we settled, left our bags, we would go to the supermarket and I was able to get all these products that, by the way, I knew the price of right. because of uh, Bob Barker <laughs> right. and the prices, right? But, you know, I just watched all these commercials and I couldn't get back home. So yeah. I've been fascinated with food ever since. Yeah. Um, when I graduated my my undergrad, I, I couldn't get a job in CPG. It's not easy to get a job in CPG, right. as many people know. Um, and I, I, I couldn't get a job in CPG, but eventually found my way. Yes, you certainly did. So you went to Texas A&M. That's right. And yeah. did you, were you, were, did you study marketing? Like what were your business or like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Business administration with a major in, in marketing. But uh, you knew a, you wanted to get into like packaged goods yes. in some way. Yeah. That's what I was, yeah, that was always. that's what I was trying to do. Uh, easier said than done. Yeah. You know, interesting. Um, and then you, Ended up getting an MBA at Rice. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I was able to land a pretty good job at Dell Computers. Right. You know, back, I guess that was almost 15, 20 years ago. Right. Um, but it was cool. It was a marketing job. It was a pricing job. Uh, it was a fast-growing company, all online. So it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was not CPGs, not what I wanted to do. Right. Um, 
eventually my first mentor I met met, met at Dell, um, and he was a yeah I'm pretty sure he was a Harvard guy or one of the fancy schools. Right. Um, you know, so he he suggested a, an MBA. Yep. Uh, for the career change. Right. You know, he said if you want to go into CPG, strongly recommend a full time MBA so you can you know step away from what you're doing right now, focus on school right. and focus more than the academic part of school, the social part yep. of school and the interviewing and the part of school. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. And then you landed at Pepsi. No, uh, my, my first, actually I did an internship at PNG okay. in Cincinnati, which was a blessing because, um, it, it was not my favorite place in the world because okay. CPG is a very structured company. They have, right. you know, a 10 step process for everything, but it's, it's, I, I would say by far the best CPG school out there. So tell me about what, yeah, because I mean, I feel like there are a couple of, there are a couple of like the larger sort of consumer goods companies where people go and they learn almost like a whole other degree in brand management, mm-hmm. you know, essentially. And then they go into other sort of places. But what made Procter & Gamble so like such a good education for you? Like what was that that you really extracted out of that? I think the the way, you know, they're a very highly structured process-oriented company with a lot of these frameworks that make you uh, make you overanalyze everything. Okay. Which, which, by the way, that's that's the good and the bad. Can be a problem too. Yeah, P- right. P&G doesn't launch, uh, doesn't have bad launches. They have right. very, very good launches. But, you know, for people that are, uh, type A or, or, you know, entrepreneurial, I would say, right. sometimes it could get frustrating because it's a very right. small, like slow moving boat. You know, we, in the world of CPG, uh, a PNG would be like a cruise liner. Right. You know, and sometimes you... You need a jet ski. Yeah, you yeah. want a cigar boat, uh, right. which by the way, it's more dangerous. For sure. Uh, but you can turn it around pretty quickly right. and it's and it's fun as hell. So yeah. it's finding that right balance. It, PNG, I mean... The, the people that are there are extremely talented. Right. Um, same and with, what with was Pepsi your job when you got, I mean, what, what, what were you assigned to do when you got there? <laughs> I had an internship um, and it was in, in brand and marketing uh, with pads and panty liners. So it was in, it was in beauty. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, that, for, that's an interesting place to place you. Yeah. yeah. For, it was uh, for always, always, always pads and panty yep. liners. Um, it was super cool. It was interesting. And believe it or not, most of the team was male. I believe that uh, most of the team was male, <laughs> I and, I, definitely and I think believe that. it made a lot of sense. You know, yeah. we would hear uh, the 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 consumers and the shoppers with a completely different perspective, right? As you know, uh, or, or preconceived uh, notion of what of what the product could or couldn't do. So right. it was great. So then, after that internship, then you yeah went back to school for final year right. uh, business school, and then I got the option to go back to P and G for a full time job. Great, um, and 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 or Frito Lay, um, uh-huh. and I just felt Frito had two things: one, a much more entrepreneurial uh, culture. Yeah, um, and I was always intrigued by by the sales organization at Frito Lay. Okay. I was going to go into marketing. I was going to be a brand guy, uh, but but I was always intrigued how cl- how close the marketing team at Frito-Lay is to the sales team. So because now that's, that's interesting, right? Because to someone at my stage, like we don't have, we don't really have, uh, marketing and sales are completely intertwined almost. Mm-hmm. Like I think hiring a person specifically for marketing kind of comes after you figured out your operations, you figured out how to sell your thing, and then, sure. you know, then the marketing comes in. Um, 
So when you say that they were really closely entwined, can you give me an example of something with Frito-Lay where those two things kind of, you can show that kind of connection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so Frito has a, a direct sales organization, a DSD, uh, okay. which means they deliver the product to store uh, directly. Not their, through a distributor. Correct. Right. Not not through the back of the of the store. Got they, it. They... They, uh, you know, the person uh, driving the truck pulls product from the back of the truck into the store directly into the shelves. Got it. Um, unlike yogurt, which goes with a truck to the back, to a refrigerator in the back of the truck, and then, uh, sorry, back of the store. Right. And then someone from uh, the store, from the store actually pulls it out into, into the shelf. Got it. So um, the sales force is about 45,000 people strong. Wow. Yeah. So as a marketer, if you're launching a product or if you're launching a new packaging or if you're doing any sort of um, uh, big launch or big promotion or activation in store, you would have to sell first and for most of 45,000 people who actually have to get you into the shelf. Right. So I, I, I worked on the Tostitos brand uh, for a while um, and I would be competing internally for the fair share of attention of a salesperson uh, against the Lace team, against the wow. Cheetos team, against the other teams that were also doing cool stuff. Right. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, and so at Pepsi, you were a brand manager mm-hmm. and a marketing manager. Yep. Two, so Two different things. Yeah. So Pepsi, Pepsi or Frito at the time had a very cool program where you would go into marketing and then you would be expected to do the three critical marketing roles at, a, at an early stage. Oh, yeah. What are they? Um, they <laughs> at the time, I don't know if they still use the, right. same, the same verbiage, but at the time it was marketing activation. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one was shopper marketing and the third was innovation or new product development. Okay. So can you kind of, because presumably even if like the nomenculture is different, those are sort of the three building blocks, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so at Frito, you would be expected to rotate maybe, you know, rotations 18 to 24 months in each. Right. And then after that, you would be ready to kind of do that next level and and keep progressing in your career. So shopper marketing, as far as I understand, is like coupons so so <laughs> acti- first of all activation yeah um activation is really managing the the voice of the brand okay the mission vision and the four piece of the brand Ooh, least, we're gonna get yes, there we're gonna yeah. get to all the frameworks um innovation is what it is new product development really figuring out what the you know white space opportunities are from a food standpoint for the brand but for the portfolio of, um, in this case frito um and just uncovering what are the what are the new spaces and new products that right. you need to develop? Shopper marketing, um, you know, really has blown up in the past in the past 10, 15 years. Right. Um, where it's 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 all the marketing that a brand or a portfolio does inside of the store. Inside of the store. But then it starts to expand, not only from only inside of the store, but also throughout the entire shopping cycle. So you have a pre-shop, you have a shop, the actual, you know. Uh, what would a pre-shop Pre-shop is everything that you as an individual would be exposed to before shopping. Got it. So you um, see it somewhere, you see it. Right. right. You know, old school, it would be the, the ad right. that shows up in your newspaper every right. every Sunday. The circular. Yeah, circular. Um, you know, it, it, this is where the world of digital has completely changed the right. game from a shopper standpoint. If, if you think about how shopper has progressed, shopper, I would say at this point is as or more important than, than below the line marketing. Uh, because right. you need to make sure that you're speaking to a consumer who's your end user of the product, yeah. but to the shopper who actually is that gatekeeper from the fridge or the pantry. So you need to make sure that you are um, winning 
winning that shopper. Right. Before, you, if you don't win with the shopper, there's no way you can get to a consumer. Right. Right. And that consumer and the shopper could be, in, at instances, the same person. Right. But in the majority of cases, it's not. Right. Um, so that gatekeeper, how do you how do you talk to that gatekeeper uh, before he or she shops while she's or he or she's shopping, and then after the fact yeah. for you know for a repeat to keep uh, coming back, keep coming back. And wow. Okay. So so. At Frito, I did them in that order. I started with brand, then I did innovation, and then my last my last role at Frito Lay was in shopper marketing, mm-hmm. and it exposed me to this whole world of sales that I've never really right. learned before. And you know, I started to realize that I wanted to be closer to where the people. things actually happen, right. where the rubber meets the road, and right. that's that's closer to sales. But because um, marketing, in a lot of ways, is theoretical. Right, like you're creating these sort of theoretical frameworks for the brand and the voice, and you know, and how you want to make people feel and how you want to kind of go into the world. But the sales mm-hmm. are like on the ground. Am I closing the deal or not? Is the person buying it? Is the you know? So I can see. I mean, they are completely intertwined. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that they're separated so much, but I guess. That's neither here nor there. But you like the sales piece. Uh, yes and no. I, I like I like the marketing piece. I just like the... As it pertains to sales. <laughs> yes, and um, there, there's a couple of things. But the, the tangibleness of sales is very gratifying for me. It, right. It's not for everyone, but um, it, it is very tangible. You right. Know? Um, now, the, the one thing that I... That I was able to uncover as I, I was making the shift from marketing to sales um, was how important, and we'll talk about, you know, yep. the category. Yeah. Um, when you're in marketing, you're very focused, you know, kind of in a vacuum looking at your own portfolio. Right. Um, and you just think of your, your portfolio or your brand or w- whatever you're responsible for. You never think of the bigger, the other ones. Of, of the bigger, yep. the, the, you know. Uh, the bigger landscape of what's of what's out there and right. how your brand fits within that, right? Uh, you know, which is really what you what you taught me a lot about. Okay, now we have to go through your eight years at Danone in one minute. So yeah, so so really cool. Uh, at Frito, I tried to move into sales for whatever reason. I was not able to. Many people told me, "Hey, don't go into sales. When you once you leave marketing, you never come back." Mm-hmm. Um, a very good uh, friend of mine and mentor at Frito Lay had made a move to Danone, uh, and he said, "Hey, look." At Danone, we have one big problem. All the marketers are expats. Uh-huh. All the sales guys are American. So uh-huh. we're building this commercial strategy team to be able to get oil and water to talk right. to each other. Interesting. Um, so I thought, hey, that, what a perfect opportunity. I'm not going to go deep into sales, but I'm, I'm going to progress right. to more of this middle area. So, yeah, I, I went there um, in this uh, commercial strategy group. I was able to grow there from, you know, got a director role, a, a VP job and, and all that stuff. Ended up forming the team that is composed of uh, um, retail, category management, uh, shopper marketing, pretty much all of these central mm-hmm. sales roles that are very interconnected with, with marketing. Wow. So that, that's, in, in a nutshell, that was eight years. But um, in terms of my, my uh, experience in sales, I, I didn't get my first first ever sales role at the known until uh, two years before I left. Right. So my first ever role in sales was uh, leading the East Division for the known, which is pretty much all the way from Maine to the tip of South Florida. Right. Um, east of the Mississippi. So. And then, so then you started talking to buyers like directly and like, we'll talk about all that. And then you left 
in a bit of a storm <laughs> yeah. to go to Chobani. Um, there was a lot of like intrigue in the dairy world at that point around you. Um, but, yeah, the, the yeah. known the known uh, bought this company, White Wave. Yeah, um, and you know it's a, it was exciting, and the whole acquisition happened and everything. Um, but you know when when two companies merge, it's just you know, always, two very. Yeah. We thought we were very similar cultures. We ended up being very, very different cultures. Right. Uh, and what ended up happening is that the people at the known didn't want to felt that they were the buyers, so they they shouldn't be changed. Yeah. And the people at White Waves thought you know felt that they were changing too much, and they had been extremely successful in their own right. right. So um, yeah, I think just time to go natural yeah. attrition that happened. <laughs> um, and then yeah, I met these wonderful wonderful people uh, at Chobani and yeah. and. I, I always knew what Hamdi uh, and Peter McGinnis were all about. Yeah. I knew what they were what they had done with the company. I never, never uh, imagined that their vision for how to manage a business was so closely, uh, so it, so so closely resembling mine. That's so cool. Um, you know, and they, they believe in a couple things, and you 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 brought it up recently. Um, they believe in this in this organization where there is not 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 a sales organization and a marketing organization. Yep. they're one in the same. Yeah, at Chobani we call it the demand the demand team. Yeah, uh, so we don't have a marketing team, we don't have a sales team. Uh, it we're all part of one demand yeah. team. Every single decision, whether it's on the sales side or on the marketing side, is made uh, is made together. Together, um, and then uh, they believe in in, in empowerment, meaning yeah. empowering um, people at the ground level to make the decisions um, and not try to think that we're going to sit here in our Soho office in, in an ivory tower making decisions for what happens in Southern California. Yep. You know, the U.S. is a, is a big, big country and a continent at the same time. So yeah. uh, we, we have structured the teams and our divisions in the field to make the vast majority of the decisions. Very and cool. we like to, you know, monitor those, right. but never, never in a command control type right. of setting. I mean, it's very obvious for anyone who's been, I mean, I was fortunate enough to be in those offices and be a part of that incubator. It's, it's a company like no other. Um, so now you're the chief customer officer. And I think I know what that means because we've had so many discussions about consumer and customer. And I've even talked about it on the podcast. I've, I've brought it up because, so to me, tell me, that means like you're basically in charge of all of your relationships with the the retail buyers that are your customers. Correct. Because a consumer is someone buying it from the store, but you are not selling really directly to them in this context. You are selling to a customer who is the store. Correct. Yes. And what is that what is like okay, one like quick, one minute. Like what what does what does that mean? Like what do you do every day? Like what what did you do today? Uh, so actually <laughs> today I was with a very important customer um, in New Jersey. Okay. Um, and we were talking about, and you talked to like their head person. Yeah. Well, you know, it depends, depends right. on the conversation, but today we were, uh, meeting with, with all the, um, the leaders of, of the dairy department at, at this customer and also, um, their na- their natural foods, uh, division as well as, um, their, their own brands team. Got it. Um, and it was mostly not a discussion even about Chobani. It was a discussion about, uh, where Chobani, where we see the future of food going, yeah. uh, and what what spaces we believe are are, are the most important right. to go after from a food company standpoint. Yeah, I love that, and I've I've used that a lot in my own like conversations. 
because we're going to actually, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the P's and the C's and get your pens ready, people. We'll be back. In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. About 30 years ago, in a small town in Sweden, a scientist invented oat milk, and everyone thought he was totally crazy. But remember, back then, vegans were weirdos on the fringes of society. Unlike today, when vegans are everywhere and include some of the world's most famous weirdos and non-weirdos on Earth. Actually, it is true that today more and more people in the U.S. and around the world are starting to understand the benefits of eating and drinking plants so their bodies feel good and the planet can cope better with the impact we humans place on it. So here's a sort of deep question. If 30 years ago people thought oat milk was a ridiculous idea, imagine how different people's beliefs about food could be in 30 years from now. Are we going to be looking back on our barbaric meat-eating ancestors of the early 2000s? Anyway, since this is an ad for Oatly, I should mention that one easy way to go more plant-based is just to switch from cow's milk to oat milk. It tastes really great, it foams really well, and you can just ask the baristas at Haven's Kitchen how popular it is. To find out more than you'd ever want to know about oat milk, go to Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y.com. Or look for Oatly on Instagram at O-A-T-L-Y. I'm back with Federico Mouchant for some reason. That last name gets me. Uh, Chief Customer Officer at Chobani. Okay, so I wanted to extract the most possible education for everyone listening to this as possible. So I was trying to think about how to how to share why my experience with you was so earth-shattering. And, and basically it came down to like, when I got to the incubator, I was so focused on the consumer. I was so focused on the person who needed to make dinner and she was exhausted and she had a job and three side hustles, but she wanted to eat well and she didn't want to order takeout, but she's like inundated with all of this food content that makes everything look beautiful and perfect. And she just needed something to like squeeze on her fill in the blank cauliflower, chicken, steak, whatever. And I was like, that's all I thought about. And then you came in and you were like, right, but you are not selling to her. Like that was your main gist to me. And it's true. There are people who are selling direct to consumer. There is Amazon. But even digitally native brands, even the brands that have made the lion's share of their money on that direct-to-consumer business are coming around to the realization that you still need stores. And the people that run those stores that are your gatekeepers to those consumers that you want to reach are the buyers. And this is where the four C's really come in. Because ultimately, what we're talking about is what you just said you spent your day doing. You're not just talking to the buyer about your brand or your new launch. You're talking to the buyer about your category, which is one of the four C's. So I thought we could start with the four C's. There's category, 
customer, which essentially means consumer? Uh, no, in that case, the customer would be the retailer. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Good <laughs> to learn. Um, who's buying it, right? Um, the company, mm-hmm. which is us, mm-hmm. and the competition. Mm-hmm. So now we're not talking about your end consumer at all in the four C's. We're just talking about the person at fill-in-the-blank store who's buying your thing to put it on their shelf and give you slots, which are, you know, they need to make them work. Mm-hmm. The category, meaning who else is in your set with you, who's sitting next to you on the shelf, who, right? Mm-hmm. Is that how you define it? Yep. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Company, which is us, right? And the competition. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, I guess, telling your stories to the buyers, the best way to do that? Um, what questions you need to know to really be able to talk about your competition well? Um how to build those relationships. And for early stage companies that don't have access to data necessarily, mm-hmm. sort of how to, how to put the four C's to work for an emerging brand. Yeah, for Go. sure. So, you know, I think that when, when you and I sat together at the, at the Chobani Incubator, what, what we did, it, it's not rocket science, but it's, it's, it's frameworks that when you're in, in the middle of it, yeah. As a founder or as an entrepreneur or, you know, in a small company, you you don't have the time, number one, to take a step back and look at, hey, all right, how am I thinking about my um, my selling pitch? How am I thinking about my my brand story? Um, and, and you and I talked a lot about like, hey, you know, in this incubator, every single one of the founders has a very cool story. Yeah. Has an amazing product because, the, you know, you're you're here for a reason and you, you know, we're, are here with whatever, 300 or 400 people that we vetted for the Chobani Incubator. Right. Um, So I would say without data, you can look at three frameworks that are critical. And and the four C's is one of them. So the four C's is one. Uh, I think that if you read a marketing book, it's it's a three C's or whatever. But we've we've adapted it (laughs) to four C's and made it salesy. The second one is what what is termed as the business fundamentals. Oh, great. Um, Okay. And, and, and every company or, or so certain companies who use it, they would term it differently. But uh, the business fundamentals is the AMPS or the AMPS. Um, and I'll take you through There are going to be a lot of acronyms. This yes. is why I said to everyone, don't do this like while you're on the bike. <laughs> like you got to be writing down right now. AMPS. Yeah. Okay. So the four C's, the business fundamental uh, fundamentals, and then the shopper fundamentals. So um, I'll take you through each one. First okay. with, with the four C's. Um, You've, we've already established that the four C's are uh, categories by far the most important. I call it the forgotten C. Right. Um, and I, I, I tell people all the time at Chobani um, that I strongly believe, and I, and I do believe this, I, I believe that category management sells more than sales. Um, and I say it because I believe it, and also it riles the salespeople up, which is a good thing. And when you say that, you mean like one of the things and I think this is okay to talk about, like one of the things that we did with the fresh market when we were trying to get in there was Mm -hmm. like less, I mean, it was about 11 months of we can help you with these meal helpers. We can help you maybe figure out the planogram for how it's going to work for people who want to be in and out, but want dinner quickly. We didn't really talk about our product all that much. Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean by category management? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Because um, the buyer which, you know, retailers are structured by categories. Right. Um, 
some buyers have one category, some buyers have multiple categories depending on the size of the retailer. But at the end of the day, those buyers don't really give a crap about which brand is succeeding and which brand, and which right. brand is not. They want their category to grow. To perform well. So, right. so as a supplier, y- you don't want to be in the business of saying why your brand... We, we tend to get in this competitive nature where we always say, my brand is better than this and this and this and this brand. Right. Ultimately, they don't care about that yeah. because they, they need to make sure that all the brands within a set or a category yep. are complementary in a way that drives or delivers category growth. Right. So um, So is your category yogurt or is it dairy? Uh, it depends on how we frame it internally. Right. Um, you know, in, in at Chobani, the category as denominated by retailers is called yogurt. But I can tell Got you it. that in Europe, the yogurt category doesn't exist. It's called uh, dairy desserts. Right. And it includes everything from pudding. to right. so Because category can also differ a little bit by retailer, right? Like correct. some places have a refrigerated condiment category. Most that we've come across don't. Correct. You you have a, a you weird know, one. With, 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 with your product, uh, one of the biggest challenges is defining what category you were a part yes. of. So uh, it's... Taking a step back from your brand and saying, all right, so if I believe I'm part of this category, mm-hmm. where do I think the category is headed? And you and I talked a lot about this. Mm-hmm. Force yourself or push yourself to establish a category vision. It doesn't it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It's it's yours. Yep. Um, and, you know, when you go to a retailer and you say, this is how I, I believe or we believe as a team, this category is going to shape up over the, over the next five to ten years. Yeah, base it on on facts. Base mm-hmm. it on insights. You can Google as many reports on food trends or whatever. Yep. Um, so you don't have to buy into an IRI or a Nielsen or right. or a Mintel or a Euromonitor or anything like that. Right. Um, you can gather your own story and and have an opinion and and have a strong opinion. Have a stake on where you think the category is going. Um, so for shits and giggles, if I'm a uh, bean-based cookie company. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I go to the category and I say, I go to the buyer, the, the cookie buyer. Is there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I go to sure. the cookie buyer and I'm like, my vision for the category is that sugar's out, refined flour's out. Everything's going to be about, you know, non-traditional, whatever. What did I say it was based on? Beans, beans. Mm-hmm. And this is my, <laughs> Matt's making another face at me. <laughs> Sounds horrible. I'm talking about beans. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm like trying to create a product here. Um, my vision for the category is like there's going to be a lot more bean-based cookies and what? Yeah, I mean you can you can um, start start with the the headwinds that the category is is having. In this case, the cookie category. <laughs> what are the challenges facing the cookie categories? Well. There, there might be a strong uh, idea around sugar. Right. Sugar is everywhere. Sugar is not a cookie phenomenon. It's a food phenomenon. Right. Uh, portion control. Portion control is, is, is another kind of overarching pheno- phenomenon. Uh, protein. You right. know, beans are rich in protein. Yes, so they are. As you, as you start, um, I think one of the other, uh, actually we talked about it today, so it's fresh in my mind. We strongly believe at Chobani that fiber is, is the yep. next protein. Yep. Uh, because as, you know, diets like... Uh, Yep. Like keto, paleo, you know, all these all these programs like TB12. Yeah, you you've got a prebiotics. Yeah, th- there's yep. there's so much, so much in this world of like intermittent fasting. Yeah. So proteins becoming that more important, satiation is becoming that more important. So 
you can see how just in yep. this conversation, we're starting to yes. kind of find an angle as to how you would position the future right. of the cookie category. Right. What are the headwinds? What are the, the biggest challenges? And then what are your tailwinds? Then if you clearly define and you let the buyer or, or you tell the buyer, hey, these is, this is what I think the challenges are. These are this is where I believe the opportunities are. Mm-hmm. Now, after you've clearly defined a, a path for the category and challenges for the category, let me tell you how my portfolio of products then is going to help you fill that void yep. or create, you know, uh, a better product within or, or, or et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that, that's still the category. Yeah, well, <laughs> Are we from, in a different scene now or is that still the from, first? From thing? category, you right. gravitate to how that's going to please the, you know, the customer. The customer. customer and category right. are very, very similar. Right. Um, because if, if you have a clear path to what's going to make the category um, grow, then that's going to benefit your retailer, your customer. customer. Right. Um, which then you move into a company which mm-hmm. is your product. This is what my company has to offer. Right. Right. And ultimately, um, you and I talked a lot about this, but the, the fourth C is kind of like a, you know, uh, a detached brother or sister yep. from the other three Cs. <laughs> uh, and it just, it just means you need to know going into any meeting with the customer or the retailer, you need to know your competition better than you need your, yep. know your product. Because everything that you frame your portfolio or your product within a category, it's going to have to be in relationship to the competitor. Yep. Right? So that's where the business fundamental comes, business fundamentals come into play, which is a second framework. Yeah. AMPS. A stands for assortment. Now, assortment is what what SKUs I have and how many? Correct. The product offerings. Uh, So what's your assortment? Your your assortment is composed of a group of products. Uh, They have a price. They have a size. That's a price-size architecture. You need to understand why, how your competitors are, are sized. Mm-hmm. You know, are they in a four ounce pouch? Are they in a six ounce pouch? What, what eight ounce pouch? Right. Um, and what's the price? What's the price per ounce? Um, you can then decide as you build, you know, your, the, your company story around around these frameworks, whether you want to be a complementary, you want to be complementary to the category and assortment, a creative. You know, you, you can you can figure out. Once we get into the, sh- uh, the shopper fundamentals, okay. it'll, it'll all make sense. Um, the M in AMPS stands for merchandising. Okay. Um, and that's how you, activate, how you activate your brand in store. So that is how you promote. Um, so that's like, we'll go on promotion four times a year. We'll do this many demos. We'll do like that, just the nitty gritty of correct. how we're going to do it. Uh, feature promotions, TPRs, right. demos, and then any, any type of shopper marketing that you do in store is considered within the world of merchandise. So I think, so just everyone, TPR stands for temporary price reduction. Yes. There are a bunch of different, thank you, Matt. There are a bunch of different ways that you can go on promotion. I honestly don't think we're going to get into all of them now, but we will do a separate thing on like buy one, get one and TPRs and twofers and because it all matters. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're not going to get that deep right now. But knowing how you're going to do it is actually important. So figure this stuff out before you go to a retailer. Got it. And then, uh, you know, the pricing stands, you know, it's obvious. It's just your price every day. What's your, what's your price per unit? What's your price per ounce? Um, and then the shelving is interesting because the shelving is what is your recommendation? Where do you want to be next of, to? Of where do you want yeah. to be within the planogram? Okay. Right? Um, and you should have a very clear idea of where you want to be on the shelf and why and who do you want to be next to and why. Right. Not necessarily, it, it's not necessarily going to happen. Right. But you should have a strong conviction and a, and, and, and well, a recommendation. One thing's for sure with us at least, and it's because we're such a weird 
just such a weird little product. But I mean, before we have a buyer meeting, we go to a few different stores because every shelf is, is different. Like you can, if we were saying we're a new cookie and we want to be next to Oreo, that would be one thing. But we're a refrigerated sauce and there is none other. So we don't really... Some stores we say we want to be next to Fabinets because, you know, that's a refrigerated condiment. Some stores we say we want to be next to the Veganes or the Veganes because they have, they're in like almost every store. Some stores were like, we want to be next to the Zoodles, mm. you know? And so like, don't go to a store and be like, we want to be next to the, if it, if it really wouldn't make sense or if they have that in a weird spot. So sometimes you do have to kind of be very particular with each store and how they do their planograms because they're different. Okay. Exactly. And what's so, the S? So 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 the 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 S is for the S is for shelving. Um, oh right, shelving. But so so amps or AMPS is really the what. What is your company gonna stand for? What is your brand gonna stand for? You should know your competition's AMPS as much as you know your own brand. Ah. Um and you know, if, if your competition is not clearly defined then you should figure out what what, what that are competitive we comparing set ourselves is. to right? but, but to your point in every store you might want to be in different places yeah. which means you have a different competitive set which means you need to do a lot yep. more work yep. um, but the amps answer the what and then the shopper fundamentals which is the last framework is really the why and and that's going to be key for you yeah. in your sales pitch and your sales pitch to talk to the retailers about um, why why do you need to carry my product yeah so the shopper fundamentals are for so all these frameworks comes in four. Come in fours. Yeah, I like I guess. the fours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first, the first one, and, and this is again not rocket science. This is pretty. What is the acronym? Uh, there's no acronym for this okay. one. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but it's a shopper fundamentals, okay. and it's household penetration is the first one. Okay, I know ours is ninety three percent. That's pretty good. Uh, so household penetration, we only know that because we got Nielsen stuff from Chobani, mm-hmm. um, but that's basically how many households buy your product at least one time a year. Right. You can you right. can slice it and dice it any way you want it, but the, the generic term is once in 52 weeks. Right. You can look at 26 weeks, 13 weeks, right. 4 weeks. Toilet paper, interestingly enough, has a household penetration of 96%. It is scary. I've heard that yeah. before. Which so, means so lace that potato- there are people that are not buying toilet paper ever. Yeah, Lace Potato yeah. Chips has a higher household penetration than uh, toilet, toilet paper. Because people steal it. I guess from offices, work and, and offices. Uh-huh. Yeah. I guess. Anyway, fun um, fact. Anyways, yeah. Okay, so I've, household I've, penetration. Uh, the second one is average weight of purchase. Average weight. Yeah. So that speaks to volume. Um, there are some categories oh. in the store where the buyers are more focused on volume than they are focused on dollar sales. I'll give you a, mostly commodities. For example, milk is a big one. Okay. Uh, because the household penetration of milk is so high, ninety-nine percent. Yeah. Um, in the old days, they would measure a a customer's or retailer's traffic based on how much milk volume they would sell. Okay. Um, Am I ever going to have to know the weight of how much sauce people buy? Um, Can I just ignore this one? Yeah, okay. I, I would say out of the four, it would be the least the <laughs> okay. least important. Um, <laughs> the, the next one is key, and you and I have talked a lot about this one, is dollars per trip. Yes. Um, because you are trying, you know, when a retailer gets you into a store, They've done the hardest part of their marketing journey. They right. got you into the store. Yep. At that point, their now goal is to you. maximize right. the basket ring mm-hmm. as much as fill up that basket as much as they can. If in your case, Allison, they're buying um, sauce, you and I talked a lot about how this is a big part of your selling story. Yep. It's like, why wouldn't you maximize the dollars per trip buying 
your eight ounce pouch at right five you know, ounce pouch at six ninety nine rather than like the jar at three ninety nine. Correct. Right. Correct. So the the dollars per trip is is incredibly important. Um, and every retailer has metrics of the cost that it took someone to come into a store. Right. So maximizing that is, is key. And typically with cool, um, you know, great innovation like yours, yeah. <laughs> um, selling a creative innovation, meaning higher dollars per trip, is extremely attractive for buyers. Right. So what we always say is, you know, we're, we're sitting in dairy. We are not going to have the velocity of a yogurt or another dairy product. We do have a higher price point, and we go on promo less often. Mm -hmm. So we're sort of saying we're bringing dollars and higher velocity, and it's kind of a win-win for the buyer. Exactly. Right. I mean, you know, a great example is like Fiji Water, right. who, who took the stores by storm. Uh, a four-pack or six-pack of Fiji Water is north of 10 bucks. Right. But are you selling less water than if they bought Nestle Pure Life? Yes. Right. But you are selling a lot more in dollars. Right. So you know, that's, that's how those guys, the premium water, you're, you're seeing a lot of uh, premium, premiumization of yep. different categories within the store. Yep. Um, and it, it's all around dollars per trip. And the, the last one is frequency, which is frequency right. of purchase. Um, it is much more important um, to hit the frequency. By the way, these are not mutually exclusive. Right. You can go to a buyer and say, hey, I think my brand is going to help in, in these uh, because X, Y, C reasons. Yep. Um, and let me show you my assortment, my merchandising, my pricing, and my shelving plan, and then you'll understand why. Ooh. Isn't this uh, fun, Maddie? So it's yeah. so they're all interconnected, yes. as you can see. Yes. So back backtrack, and I know I'm, I can talk about this. No, stuff I know, but it's like place, I mean, I could listen to it forever. So if you have a great category vision, yep. Um, and by the way, the category vision is not never set in stone. You can keep evolving it as customers are going to give you feedback. They're going to say, "No, you know, Ali, uh, you're not right about this. We see this going in a separate direction." So you adapt as you go. Is it ever? So I have had the occasional feeling where I'm like, hey, dairy buyer who's been in this job for 40 years, um, here's my category vision. And like, feels a little presumptuous. Like, does it ever annoy them to be, all right, thank you, upstart brand with like four stores that you're in. Like, great. That's a great category. Like, yeah, is I, it, do you, I don't we know. need that's to be careful question. about that at I, all? I think you do because you are talking to, you know, to people that have been there for years and years and years and likely know more about yes. their categories. So just preface um, it with like, you can't give me five minutes. I need seven. Can you give me seven? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, uh, like, you know, if you have done a job for such a long time, you might be jaded. Right. And you, you might be saying, hey, I've done that before. It doesn't work. Right. The world of food has changed. The world of retail has changed. Yeah. Technology has changed the game for all of us. So, um, so maybe if you can give a little bit of like why I understand this and why I know my consumer. Like for me, I'm always falling back onto like the cooking school and this is how people cook and this is how people shop. And um, I think if you're a young brand and, and you're going to go out there with like, this is how I see the category, don't come out of the gate like guns a blazing, mm -hmm. maybe come out with like, this is my vision and this is how I've backed it up with yeah. these statistics or this data or this is even a little bit of research that we've done or we've invested in or whatever it is. At the, at the same time, you know, they say as a salesperson, you need to uh, listen more than what you speak. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, these guys have so much knowledge yeah. that in a 30 minute meeting, if you're actively listening, you can, you can learn quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and then there's nothing more rewarding for a supplier buyer relationship to co-create something. Yeah. So if you come in with, with an idea, they say, no, let's do it this way. 
you follow follow yep. the feedback you make it happen and take it in store at that point it's not Allison taking her brand to to a store and you, you didn't get distribution yep. at that point is the buyer gave you input you made it and it's it's yeah. a joint effort actually I would argue that in that particular case in that example you're going to get a lot more support from the retailer right. because you listen to yeah. them and you know yeah. so co-creation for us at Chobani is, is a right. thing that we're starting to do a lot more uh, we're getting customers you know in, in the past uh, CPG companies would tend to be very reluctant to share long-term innovation or thoughts. Mm-hmm. Just like today with this customer, we were talking about, you know, what we're thinking for 2021, 2022. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should all be in the business of co-creating yep. our future with, with the retailers. Because yeah. if the retailer doesn't believe in what you're doing, then you're not going to get on the yeah. uh, at the shelf. You're not going to be uh, talking to a shopper that yep. might potentially take you to the fridge or pantry. We have a Harissa because of John Lawson at Whole Foods. It was his idea. I mean, he was like, I think this would be a good thing. And so we made it. And it, oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's really fun. That's awesome. Okay. We have f- four minutes to talk about the four Ps. And the four Ps I have, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the product. Mm-hmm. How would you, how would, how, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, the, 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 the food, the price and the size, the food, the price and the size mm-hmm. easy. Um, and then I have price as a second P. Yeah. And, and, and you know what, the, the four, the four, <laughs> the four, the, the P's and the C's are, are kind of interchangeable. Right. I would say that, um, in a founder led company, the P's already are kind of built right into it. Um, now there are a lot of stuff, a lot of things that we talk with you guys in the incubator about pricing and how do you price you know in the world of of an EDLP retailer or a high low EDLP is everyday, everyday low, low everyday price, low price and high low is when you go on promotions and you and so in some cases you're always going to be 5.99 and there's never going to be a promotion and that's it and then in some places you're going to be 6.99 but you're going to go on promotion 4 to 6 times a year at you know, four ninety nine, and it all kind of comes out in the wash. And different retailers have different ways that they like you to to play, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but but the four C's. You know, you got the product, which is not in the four C's. You got placement. That's yep. the same as shelving. Yeah. Uh, you got pricing, which is the same as the P in in AMPS. And then promos. Uh, and then yeah, the, right. so the promotion, which would be the merchandising. So outside of product, which in the Chobani incubator, most of you guys already come. With the idea, you're you're right. not there with a blank sheet of paper waiting to develop a product. You already guys come with a very cool product, so that's why we kind of framed focused on right. the other frameworks and not and not the and not the piece. Two last questions. One is, if I were making and and I, I think people early stage, we all need to understand a little bit. You have a deck for potential investors, you have a deck for press and partnerships, and then you have a deck for retailers. Mm-hmm. And they have to be different because investors don't care how often you go on promo and the press certainly doesn't care, right? So in that deck for, you know, for a retailer, first of all, make sure that you change it every time so that you don't say like, hey, store, and then you're giving it to another store because that could be a bummer. Um, But would you say sort of like, hi, this is my product. Hi, this is my category vision. Like, would you start, you, how would you sort of put that information in order for uh, a potential retailer? It depends. One thing I've heard from retailers is that uh, the 25-page deck, of which 20 pages are about the founder, is yeah. starting to become a little, a little too much. Yes, I would um, imagine. 
And now, if you have a cool story, use it. Right. And take advantage of it. Um, but I would say definitely uh, start with a little bit of, a, of, of the inspiration behind your brand and your yeah. company. Uh, what inspired you to, to do what you're doing? And then go straight into the category. Story, you know? category, and then... Be- because think about it. It doesn't matter what share you are. Uh, what, what share you are, the size of your company will be tied directly to the size of the category. Right. So you would put category before your before your SKUs. Yes. Ooh. I would. I would. Ta- That's I would, very. I, I would talk about the inspiration, a little bit about you, um, then go straight into the category. How you see this? Because it, you're doing something in this business, whether right. you whether you know it or not, or it's in the back of your head. You're doing something around your business because you believe that there's a future for the category and the type of products that you yep. that you've uh, uh, that you're working and on. And then so. your products. And then yes. And then maybe uh, would you then the SKUs and then like how often you'll go on promotion and yep. inspiration about yourself, then the category, the vision of the category, then your company, which is your products portfolio. Right. And then how would you activate that company? Uh, sorry, that portfolio, which is the AMPS. Right. And then you go into now tell, let me tell you what benefit I would give you, Mr. Customer. And I think I could do this in household penetration. I think I could grow your category by bringing new users, which would increase your household penetration. I could give you more dollars per basket because my product is priced at this compared to this. Um, and I could potentially increase the frequency because if you get this household, in your case, Allison, I love your product. You know that my wife. Yeah, I do. My, my, my wife actually bought it and I saw it in my fridge before I even met you, which amazing. is pretty cool. That's amazing. Um but yeah, you have in my wife a person that is an avid cooker. She loves to cook with your with your product. She likes to put it on the final product. So in terms of frequency, you got a person like her that was not buying um, sauce sauce before. Right. Yeah. And now you got her. So from a frequency standpoint, you're getting her um, more often. So again, Amazing. not everything's going to be... And you can do this in the absence of data. Yes. You, you know? can't know. This was, you just literally talked us through. I maybe should have just been like, let's make a deck together <laughs> on air. Um, okay. Before Matt kills me, I do always ask everyone this question. Your favorite moment in your career, a moment where you were like, I am doing exactly what I love or like, this is so cool. Like some moment. Uh, not to be super cheesy, but we're going through it right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chobani has been, it's an 11 year old company. Uh, amazing company in the world of yogurt that's uh, expanding uh, beyond yogurt. So yeah. uh, we cannot be more excited about what we're what we're going through right now. Actually, um, headed to Twin Falls, Idaho on Monday. Uh, we're producing for the first time. Amazing. Um, next week. So amazing. It's super cool. Yeah. Super super cool. I mean, I I hope everyone gets as much out of this in like the short forty five minutes as. I continue to every time I meet with you. It's like my mind is just continually blown. And I love the frameworks for all of this. So, Fed, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Um, thank you. It was great. You might have to come back again. Just putting that out there. It'll take another two years <laughs> to get you, but I'm willing to like start trying now. Matt, thank you for being patient with me. I'm sorry I went a little bit over. Um, And everybody else, have a happy Thanksgiving, and I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.